Now, since it's Mother's Day weekend, I want to take the opportunity to share a passage regarding a mother whom we can learn from. And the topic for today is what you promise, you must honor. What you promise, you must honor. And the big idea for today is this we must honor the commitments and promises made to God. We must honor the commitments and promises made to God. Now, turn with me right now, if you have Bibles with you, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll study, we'll look at the story of Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2 says this. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2 says, He had two wives. The name of the, of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man, this man is Elkanah. This man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he will give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, which is Peninnah, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So the passage here tells us that the Lord had closed Hannah's womb and prevented her from having a child. So Elkanah's other wife, Peninnah, would use festive seasons to provoke and to irritate Hannah for not having a child. And it was tough. Tough for Hannah because a wife's worth and identity at home were tied to the ability to give birth. And that's a, a very cultural thing at that point in time. The thinking then was that one's wife was expected to produce as many children for the family as possible. So Hannah's position as a wife was constantly being mocked and ridiculed by Peninnah, who was out to prove her higher worth and status given the many children that she had given to Elkanah. So given the situation with Hannah, Elkanah, could have despised her and cast her aside for her inability to have children. But I must say, church, I must say that Elkanah was a good husband as he did not mistreat Hannah. Now, during their annual pilgrimage, the meat from the animal sacrifice was distributed among the family members after the whole uh, ceremony was done. So even though Hannah was barren, Elkanah gave her, gave her a double portion of the meat to express his favor on her. So you can imagine. So you can imagine how upset Peninnah felt seeing the favoritism for Hannah when her rival could not produce a child for their husband. That could also be the reason why Peninnah increased her firepower on Hannah during the festive period 
after seeing Elkanah's love for Hannah and not for her. And that's why verse 7 was, says this, in verse 7, so it went on year after year. That means this went on, this, this irritation, provocation went on, right? And as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her, therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why? Why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I? Am I not more to you than, than ten, ten sons? Now, the question is this. Why did Elkanah mention about ten sons here, right? Why not 77 sons? Right? Why 10 sons? Why you? A possible reason was the historical link back to the story of Jacob and Rachel in Genesis 29. And if you look at uh, Genesis 29, the story there, Jacob, their forefathers, had, had two wives, Leah and Rachel. And Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, but Rachel was barren. So if you look at this story, this story sounds familiar, right, to Hannah's situation. So during Rachel's period of barrenness in Genesis 29, Leah produced 10 sons for Jacob. So in referencing this well-known Jewish story, Elkanah used this story in Genesis 29 to tell Hannah how much he loved her despite her barrenness. And in verse 8, Elkanah asked the three wives, Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? You see, Elkanah was trying to comfort Hannah with his ability, right? But you must understand that he, 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 he did it, but not in the correct manner. And this is where many husbands just don't get it, right? Husbands don't get it and, 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 and we make, sometimes we make the same mistake as Elkanah. Because you don't ask your spouse, your spouse who is in emotional pain and rejection, why are you behaving like this? Why, why, why? Why are you? She was in pain. She was being provoked and irritated year after year. She was sad. And the husband trying to use a logical mind, why are you like that again this year? Why? And you must, see, I know that most men among us, we, we major in logic, right? But you must understand, men and husbands, our spouses are at a higher level beyond logic. <laughs> you must understand that, right? We must understand our spouse with our hearts, not just with our minds alone. Can all the wives say Amen. And this is a powerful lesson, right, for all husbands and, and husbands-to-be. Because Elkanah's three whys, the three why questions would not resolve Hannah's inner pain and self-worth issue. Yes, Hannah knew that Elkanah loved her more than others. But that could not resolve the deeper issues, deeper pain within her. She needed divine intervention that was beyond what Elkanah could do. 
And from the story, we can see that Elkanah was indeed a godly man. He was not just pious, he was also very committed to Hannah as a loving husband, despite her condition. Despite Hannah's inability to produce any child for him, Elkanah continued to provide for her and love her emotionally. Elkanah did not allow the ancient cultural lenses and expectations to adversely affect his love for Hannah. Instead, he honoured his commitment. His commitment as the husband to Hannah, regardless of the situation. And I pray, church, I pray that, that as, as husband and wives among us, we can learn from Elkanah in this regard here. Because the foundation of every marriage is the commitment of love between the husband and wife. Now say with me, commitment of love. Very important, the commitment of love. Because based on this foundation of love, of love commitment for each other, we build other aspects of the marriage, such as children, our marital estate, etc., etc., and go on. See, we must avoid, church, we must avoid building the foundation of our marriage solely on children and marital assets. Yes, they are essential, but they are not the foundation of any marriage. Because if you do, if you build your marriage on other things except a love commitment, you will see a rocky marriage when things do not add up. I've seen marriages in trouble because the marriage bit wrong is not built upon a commitment of love and honour for each other. You can have many children and many, many marital assets, but if you don't have the commitment of love and honour for each other, you may end up with an unstable marriage. But I've seen, I've seen marriages that do not have children. I've seen marriages that, that are not filled with much riches and wealth, but the couples are happy and content with each other. And I say that there's something about about the love for each other, isn't it? It wasn't, and, and these marriages, they don't, they don't build it around their children, around what they have, but they build upon the foundation of love and commitment for each other. And I pray that we will have God's wisdom to build a strong marriage foundation based on a godly commitment of love and honour for each other. Can somebody say amen? Can I just say amen? Now, since it's Mother's Day, can husband turn to your wife and say to your wife, I honor and love you. And for some husband, you may have to say, please forgive me if I have not done so. <laughs> right? Well, we see how Elkanah honored his commitment to Hannah as her husband. Now, let's see the, the part of the story where Hannah honored her commitment and promise to God. We saw how Elkanah honoured his commitment to Hannah. And now let's look at how Hannah honoured her commitment and promise to God. Let's look at verse 9 right now. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose and now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now this razor here is not a gaming razor. Huh? It's not that razor, all right? In her, it's, it's basically, no, no, they don't shave, all right? They don't touch, they don't cut their hair. In her pain, Hannah brought her anguish to Yahweh and sought for God, sought God's intervention in her very situation. Now look carefully right now at verse 11 to see who Hannah prayed to. In verse 11, it says that Hannah prayed to the Lord of hosts. Now, church, whenever you see in the Old Testament the word L-O-R-D in caps, full caps, L-O-R-D, it basically means Yahweh. It means Yahweh. In, in English, we, we short for it by Y-H-W-H, right? Yahweh, Vavheh. So it's basically Y-H-W-H, right? Y-H-W-H. And if you look at this right now, it's basically the way the ancient Jews would use four Hebrew consonants, Y-H-W-H, to represent the name of God. Now, this name was important because in English, we see it L-O-R-D caps. But if you look at the original text, it's not L-O-R-D. It's actually this word, Yahweh. And this name was important because it differentiated the other gods from the God of Israel. You see, every god had a name in ancient history. And when you say, which, who, who, who do you serve? Which God do you, uh, do you serve? Well, they will say Yahweh. Because the name of the God of Israel in the Old Testament was Yahweh. And Hannah was not praying to any other gods, but to the God of her forefathers, the God of Israel, Yahweh himself. So Hannah called upon the Lord of hosts, the Yahweh of hosts, the Sabaoth, he's calling to him. He's calling to Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. And Yahweh was not alone in heaven. But if you look at the way she called it, she said, Lord of hosts, it means that Yahweh was surrounded by his entourage, the hosts of heavenly beings. So Hannah was not praying to divine beings around God's throne. Instead, she directed her prayers to the God most high, Yahweh himself. And from her prayers, Hannah knew what she wanted from Yahweh. She wanted a son. And she was determined, determined to dedicate him to God for the rest of his life. It was not just for two years of full-time national service to God. It wasn't. It was, you see, the moment she released her son to the Lord, it's not just two years national service like what we do with our sons in Singapore. It was for life. She would no longer have a son back to herself. It was a lifelong consecration to the Lord. So Hannah's prayer revealed her deep, deep desire for God to remove her shame and to use her to bring forth a servant set apart for God's service. Well, it's easy to pay lip service to God, right? When we are desperate for a miracle, we can do anything and we can promise God anything, right? The real test comes when God answers our prayers and we have then, we, then we have to honour our commitment to the Lord. And let's continue right now the story in verse 19 where it says this. 
In verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And now Kana knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord, right? Capital L-O-R-D, and the Lord, I mean, it's Yahweh here. And Yahweh remembered her. Now, I like, the, I like the last statement that says that the Lord, Yahweh, remembered her. Now, this is the part where the text tells us that Yahweh intervened and allowed Hannah to become pregnant. It was not just an act of man because they had tried for many years, right? We, we, we know that from the story. It was not an act of man, but a divine intervention that brought forth a child for Hannah. Verse 20 says this, And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord, from Yahweh. So the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned her, and only, only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nurse her son until she wean him. Now we can gather from this passage that Elkanah was fully aware, fully aware of Hannah's plan to consecrate Samuel to the Lord. And as the head of the household, Elkanah had the positional and the spiritual authority to nullify Hannah's oath. He could have, because based on Old Testament practice, he could have done that. He had the authority to do that. But he did not do that. And together with Hannah, Elkanah honoured her commitment to consecrate their son to Yahweh. Again, this reinforces Elkanah's deep trust in the Lord. Look at verse 24 now. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young, some believe to be two, three years old. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, for I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to Yahweh. For this child I prayed, and Yahweh has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent to him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped Yahweh there. So by this time, Samuel was probably about two, three years old already. So Hannah not only brought the young lad to the house of the Lord, but she also brought a very generous offering to accompany her son to the house of the Lord. The end of 1 Samuel 1 tells us that Hannah honoured her promise and commitment to the Lord. And out of Hannah's story, now there, there are a few important discipleship issues to address as well. 
And the first one is this. One question that, that often arises from this story is this. If you look at the story, right, and I, I've, I heard many questions about this, and, and it's a discipleship issue which I want to address. And the question is this. Does God always answer my prayers when I make a commitment or promise to Him? Does God only answer my prayer when I make a commitment or promise to Him? In, you see, inherent in this question is the idea that I must give something to God for Him to answer my prayers. That means the bigger the gift, the higher the chance for an answer prayer. So if I don't bring anything, uh, God won't hear me. But church, I want you to know that this is not how God works. You see, Yahweh cannot be bought by worldly wealth and riches. In case you do not know, God owns everything in the world. Can someone say amen? And our earthly gifts cannot bribe Him. God doesn't need our gift. He gave it to us instead, right? He doesn't need them. You see, we give to God because we love Him and not because we want something from Him. We give our finances to God because we are stewarding the resources entrusted to us, but rightfully belonging to Yahweh. Everything we have comes from Him. And it is wrong to think that I can exchange something with God by giving Him something precious to me. You see, in the case of Hannah, her prayers were heard because they were aligned. They were aligned with God's will. I think I touched on this before in one of my sermons. Hannah's prayer were aligned with God's will. You see, God raised Samuel to replace the wicked priests, Hophni and Phinehas, and to provide leadership to Israel until the appointment of King Saul. So God foreknew. God foreknew the need for a prophet, a righteous prophet to replace the wicked priests. And Hannah's prayer to consecrate Samuel to the Lord was aligned, aligned with God's will. And therefore, church, you must understand that our prayers are answered when they are aligned with God's will. Our Lord Jesus taught us the same truth in the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament, where in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, is, the Lord taught this saying that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will, right? So the key to answer prayer is alignment with God's will. Now, this is an important discipleship issue because, as, because I've seen believers leaving their faith in Christ because they were upset, upset that God did not answer their prayers. I know of a brother who told the Lord that, who told the Lord that he would give 10% of his contract value to his church if the Lord gave him the multi-million contract he bid for. And eventually, he was not awarded the contract. And as a result of that, he got angry with God, you know. Angry with God for not answering him. You see, before he went for the bidding, he told the Lord, Lord, you give me this contract, I'll give you 10% of the contract value. But the moment he didn't get it, what happened? He said, upset. God, how can you navigate? How can you even give me a... How can we give to my rival instead? Why? Why? He got upset, right? The issue here is the wrong understanding of prayer. So when this brother prayed to God, God could answer by saying no to his prayer. 
No, because God probably knew that this brother could not handle the multi-million contract at that point in time. You see, just because we hang a carrot stick in front of God in our prayers, does that mean that God must bite it? Church, you must understand that human beings do not control God. We do not control God. He is God and He determines what's best for His children. Can somebody say amen? So let's correctly understand prayer where alignment to God's will is very, very vital. It is key here. So tell neighbor on your left and on your right, tell them right now, alignment to God's will. Those of you online can type in the chat as well, alignment to God's will. Now with that, let me move on to the second discipleship question that arises out of the story. And the question is this, was Hannah shortchanged when she honoured God with her firstborn son? Was Hannah shortchanged? You see, some of us may feel that, feel that way, right? Because as Hannah did not have the full joy of having Samuel with her, with her for the rest of her life, maybe only two, three years, but not for the rest of her life. But church, I don't think Hannah was shortchanged at all. Firstly, let me explain to you why. Firstly, God removed the cultural discrimination of barrenness against Hannah. You see, Hannah was no longer under this unfortunate category in her ancient culture and was free from the provocation of others. That's number one. God free her from that. Secondly, God added more children to Hannah after consecrating Samuel. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 21, it says this, Indeed, the Lord, Yahweh, visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. God did not shortchange Hannah when she surrendered her firstborn son to him. God gave, God gave her not one, not two, but five. Five more children in addition to her firstborn son. God noticed what Hannah did and gave her many more children in return. Can someone say amen? Hannah was not shortchanged in giving Samuel to the Lord. That's the second point. Thirdly, why was it that Hannah was not shortchanged? The reason is this. God protected Samuel in his growing up years. God protected Samuel in his growing up years because in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 21, it says, and the, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, you must understand this is a very important statement there. Samuel grew up in an environment of very, very wicked priests. Very wicked. He was, in a sense, raised in that environment as Hannah consecrated her to the Lord and allowed her to serve in the temple. And, and you must understand that the environment was very wicked. He could have been badly influenced by the evil deeds of the priests and became like them as he was under their tutelage. But no, Samuel was not influenced negatively. God kept Samuel from being defiled by the wicked environment and kept him pure and righteous. 
Now this phrase, Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord, this phrase tells us that Samuel enjoyed divine favor and a very close relationship with the Lord. And as, as I look at this verse, I say, God, this is my prayer as well. My prayer for my children that they will grow up in the presence of the Lord while living in the world system. They, miss, they are very close to the Lord no matter where they would go, isn't it? God's favor and divine presence will keep my children, our children from being defiled by the worldly values and be set apart for Christ's purpose on earth. Now, how many of you parents here, you want your child, your children to grow up in the presence of the Lord? How many want that? I want that. Growing up in the presence of the Lord. Amen. So therefore, Hannah was not shortchanged when she honored God with her commitment and promise. Now, let me share this story and I'll end my sermon with it. Now, five years ago, exactly almost five years ago, I went to check, five years ago, I shared the same passage on Hannah from 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. Five years ago, if you're here, you remember this sermon, right? A sister sat in the service and as she was hearing this being shared, she heard from the Lord in her heart that the Lord would give her a child. And she left the service that day with a deep conviction that the Lord would answer her prayers for a child after being through many rounds of unsuccessful fertility treatments. So that day, she left with a strong conviction that the Lord spoke to her. The Lord will give her a child. And true enough, a few months later, she conceived a child. However, things did not turn out well and she eventually lost the baby at the 26th week of the pregnancy. 26th week. It was heartbreaking for the family and me because I remember conducting the funeral for this little one, right? This little baby. And I remember conducting the funeral, feeling very sad for the family because of the whole process of the sermon. She, was, she conceived and then six weeks later, we had to conduct a funeral for this little one. And the whole episode felt incomplete. And yet we did not have all the answers at the point in time, right? We just, can I explain? And so there was something that I always remember upon my heart. And then two years later, I remember there was somewhere in 2018. Two years later, during the pandemic, somewhere in 2020, through many divine orchestrations and difficulties, this same sister finally carried her newborn child in her arms. Two years later. I was, I was pleasantly surprised when when I received news about this newborn baby, they sent me, a, sent me a picture and I was like, oh wow, I thought it was somebody else's baby, right? She said, Pastor, this is my baby. And I was, I was like, oh wow. And I could not fully understand what happened, but I could always trust God's faithfulness in fulfilling His word to this sister. Let me show you a picture of this baby right now. So you must imagine, you can imagine, right, when I carried the baby in my hand, I said, oh, wow. So we visited them during the pandemic when we were allowed to. 
sweet baby, sweet little girl that the Lord had promised, the Lord had given. And allow me to read to you what this sister wrote in her testimony. I told this sister, can you share with the many, many sisters among us your process? And she wrote this, she said this. She says this, infertility is a very lonely journey. You will constantly be told the odds are against you. You can do everything right, but you will have no control over the outcome. Do not give in to despair, even if you cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. Trust in Him. Trust in God. And let Him direct your path. Remember, it is not your way, but God's way and His timing is always perfect. Amen. So may this word of encouragement bless those of you who are in the journey of becoming a mother as well. I asked this sister to write her testament because I want to bless some of us. As you hear this message from Hannah, you may be carrying the same hope and may you be blessed and encouraged by this testimony. Can all mothers say amen? I can only conclude that when God has spoken, He will do what He promises. God is always faithful. And for us, our role is to honour our commitment and promise made to the Lord. Amen. Let's, let's bow our head and close our eyes because I believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken to different ones of us here today. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to different ones of us regarding honouring our commitment and promise to God. You see, some of us have made promises and commitments to the Lord which we have yet to fulfill. Some of us may have forgotten about our promises because of the busyness of life. And today, you are reminded again of your promise to the Lord through the story of Hannah. If that's you, you are triggered today to re- you're reminded again to fulfill what you have promised to the Lord. If that's you, I want you to lift your hands all over this place and say, God, thank you for reminding me of my promise to you. If that's you, lift your hands to the Lord right now in response to the word, thank you. That's right, lift your hands and say, God, thank you for reminding me my promise to you and I need to fulfill what I promised. Thank you. I see the hands up there as well. Thank you. If the Lord has reminded you something between you and Him and you're triggered today to remember what the Lord has answered, how the Lord has answered you and what you have said to the Lord. Lift your hands to it. Say, God, thank you. I remember, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me again. Hallelujah. You know, some of us, we struggle to fulfill what we have promised to the Lord because we are afraid that we may be shortchanged. And I pray that, that God's Word has reminded us today that God does not shortchange us. And if that's you, you're saying, God, Help me to trust your faithfulness and goodness that you will never shortchange me. If that's you, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord as well. Say, God, help me to trust in your goodness that you will never shortchange me. If that's you, lift your hands. Thank you. Thank you across this place. Thank you. I see the hand behind. Thank you. You say, God, help me to trust you that you will never shortchange me. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. For those of us who are married, husband and wife, 
one of our promises before the Lord is to honour and cherish our spouse. And our marriage vows remind us never to take each other for granted, but always to love and cherish each other till death do us part. And today on Mother's Day, you want God to strengthen your marriage vows and to give both of you a deeper love for each other to continue this journey of life before God. You say, God, help us to grow stronger, stronger to fulfill our vows to each other. If that's you, lift your hands to Him as well all over this place. If that's you, thank you, thank you. Many hands, many hands, thank you. You say, God, help me to remember my vows, the vows of my marriage, that my marriage vows to you help me to honour and to always honour this vow that I made before you. If that's your desire, lift your hands all over this place as well. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands, many hands all over this place. Thank you. Thank you. One last group. You need God to intervene in your situation. It can be for a child you desire, an issue that only God can resolve, or a prayer request that only God can fulfil for you. You need a miracle of God's intervention like Hannah. I want you to lift your hands all over this place as well, if that's you. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. If you need God's intervention, like what God did for Hannah, lift your hands all over this place to Him. Thank you. Thank you. Church, would you please stand with me right now all over this place? Would you please stand? Now, for those of you who have lifted up your hands, it's time. It's time to bring yourself to the altar as, as what Hannah did to present yourself to the Lord for God's intervention. And if you have lifted up your hands and you need prayer, I want you to bring your, bring your needs to the altar like what Hannah did and believe that as you do so, God will hear your prayers. Amen. As the team leads us right now, I open the altars. If you need prayer, you come. For those of you who are married, if you need prayer for your marriage, for God to strengthen your marriage, you come as well as husband and wife. We want to pray and bless you that God will hear your prayers. Amen. All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God all my life and all my life you have been faithful come on let's respond to the Lord come to the altar all my life you have been so so good come and present your needs your request to God because He's a good God I will see of the goodness of God I love you Lord oh your mercy oh your mercy never fails me and all my days I've been held in your hand from the moment that I wake up till I lay my head oh I will sing of the goodness of God. Come on, declare it out. Sing it out. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life. 
Goodness 